When you go into your opponent's changing room after a game to ask if the players have been <laughs> calmed down yet, it's that's so Zlat, uh, that's so MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? You're so good. Got some what Zlatan a... antics to talk about. What could? What else could I want out of life? What is what a what is Zlatan? What is Zlatan? It was. Uh, I enjoyed the the headline from the nutmeg that was um, uh, RSL players invade Zlatan's private locker room. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I I mean, it's one of those things where at first I was gonna message you and be like. We got to weigh in on this. And then I was like, but really, is any part of this surprising at all? What do you even do with this information besides shake your head and go, yep, that sounds like a Zlatan thing. It's like he feels like he is. It gives the sentiment that he believes he is like league big brother. He's given that. He's openly said, I am MLS. So I think... We can safely say, yes, he has a quite high opinion of where he stands in the league. Of the incident we're talking about is he yanked down uh, RSL defender Anua um, over the shoulder and apparently had sort of been verbally threatening him the whole game, threatening to do him. And uh, <laughs> and then after the game, he goes into the RSL changing room to apologize, well, quote unquote, to apologize. But apparently all he really said was like, have you calmed down yet? And Anua told him politely to get out. Please leave the room. Please leave the room. <laughs> anyway, well, we can talk a little bit more about the that whole thing when we get there. Um, but we're going to switch things up a little bit and start with some, uh, some news this week before yeah. we get into the games. We're recording on Wednesday. Um, in, in one of the things that has taken place today is uh, that the Whitecaps have made a statement uh, that is sort of the newest uh, the newest event in the in the ongoing saga of um, of allegations that have been made about events that took place um, in 2008 with players from the Canadian U20 uh, national team and of the Whitecaps women's team mm-hmm. and so with this new statement that the Whitecaps have released um a couple of things that are different about this statement is number one, there's some signatures from two of the co-owners on it. Um, number two, and essentially saying that, um, you know, the specific concerns of the players from this blog post and the ones that have come forward um, were perhaps not adequately addressed and they want to do that going forward and they want to publicly release what uh, changes, if any, they want to make looking back at that incident. They say that the investigation is going to be uh, independent. And, and to me, that that, um, public, that public element is really important. Um, the opening, what I, in addition to announcing the investigation, one of the things that, um, that differentiates it for me um, is from, from the earlier statement that we've read on the show is the opening where, they say, you know, as we reflect on what happened in 2008, the blogs that have been published over the last several weeks, we express 
sincere regret and empathy for the harm that has clearly come to many women who participated in our program at the time. The pain and suffering these women feel is real and something we care deeply about. And while we sought and acted on the advice of the best available counsel at the time, it is clear that people were deeply affected. For that, we are sorry. That is more direct and certainly more of an apology than we had seen from them in the past. Uh, the response to that from Kara McCormick, the, uh, one of the players who wrote one of the original blog posts um, about that time in, in, re in bringing some of these allegations into the open, um, has, I, I feel like this, after, this evening, for me, afternoon for you, um, mm -hmm. everybody's been trying to gather their thoughts about it. Uh, and, and Cormac tweeted that her personal reaction was, no sincerity, no accountability, and many, many unanswered questions remain. Not to mention, it's taking two months since the blog, two f fan lockouts, uh, in a drop in fan attendance to have this addressed, not even close to good enough. So it is an, an interesting new step um, that certainly the the players involved have not, uh, uh, or this play, one of the players involved um, has not necessarily seen as enough of a, a step. Absolutely, and I and I think that's important for me personally. Um, after reading the statement, that was kind of my feeling. Was you know I I think I can probably guess how a lot of fans and vocal fans ha, ha, how they'll react. And I sort of have my gut instinct about it, but what will some of the players say? And to see that, um, I don't think it's unfair to say if one of the main players involved is unsatisfied with the statement and the um, the result of that, I I tend to think that um, maybe needs more needs to be done. This comes after um, the uh, on the weekend on Saturday. The uh, the the members of supporters groups that had been taking part in a, a voluntary walkout um, in the last ten minutes of the the first half prepared to do it again. They uh, received a meeting with team management and ownership. Mm -hmm. um, according to JJ uh, Adams of the Vancouver Province, um, at the course of the meeting, the the Whitecaps had suggested that they were working on a situation involving the ones, the team behind the scenes, but weren't ready to go public with the efforts. They had asked that the, the walkout be canceled. Um, and it suggested that ownership could join supporters in the supporter section of, of BC place. Um, that was not, uh, that was not uh, approved by the supporters group. It was also very close to the game. Mm -hmm. Um, and essentially the, the article suggested that supporters groups felt that progress needed to be made publicly, a statement needed to be public, um, and, or that the ombudsman's report from 2008 be released. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that also, that at that time, uh, did not happen. Yeah. Um, so this is the newest, most public most attributed statement that we've seen to date um, in, in this. And I feel like that is sort of the context in why in, in which they decided to, to post that. And the other piece of important context is the, um, the news that um, the Tempers army supporters 
for Portland coming up for the for the next game in BC Place on May 10th had suggested that they might be interested in in taking actions in solidarity with Vancouver supporters. Oh, great! Uh, I I didn't know that, but it um it doesn't surprise me. The Timber Timbers Army has been um has always been a, it's interesting uh, our fierce rivals in Cascadia. <laughs> Um, but the Timbers Army, especially, have, have always been uh, very well-behaved guests, very respectful, and um, it, it certainly wouldn't be the first joint effort of um, clubs supporting one another, or club supporters supporting one another. Right. Um, so so that's sort of the, the newest details, and we always um, encourage people to, to go find out more. Um, the... The, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about with this is how it affects enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, because I would say that this is something that has been, um, that has gone hand in hand uh, and, and, and has led to at least the perception of, I don't know, I don't know if you, I haven't looked at the numbers to, to say for sure that there's been an attendance drop, but certainly it feels hard for people to be to to know this information and to to it's hard it's hard to try and, and, and maintain that we have solidarity for the players that, that went through this at the time and then also continue to be you know positive enthusiastic for the team when you feel like the team hasn't done enough. Yeah. So I, I looked into it, and, and official numbers seem to say that there are 17,000 for the game. Now, gate counts are often a little bit higher because season's ticket holders, I believe, are included in that. So there's yeah. been a number of season ticket holders that have canceled or not shown up. So that may affect that number. For a Saturday Mark- game, 17,000 is a, se- several thousand lower than you would expect, and certainly lower than a sellout. Martin McMahon from News 1130 has done uh, some good work on on tracking down people that have canceled their season's tickets if uh, hmm. for, for sort of context to that. For sure. Um, I, I chose not to go to this game, um, and largely for that reason. It feels really hard to be, um, especially after the, the news last week about the, the other the youth coach that had been let go um, after a year of not somehow the club not knowing about racist remarks. There's just, it gets to a point where, yeah, as a supporter, of course you want to go and be enthusiastic and get behind your club and support the players that are currently on the field. But it, it just felt really kind like, and I'm not saying I'm making some valoristic stand here or if what I'm doing really changes anything. I literally just was too bummed out to get out of the door and go sit in those stands, potentially buy a, overpriced beverage and support a club that right now really feels like um, I'm, I'm still personally struggling to see a lot of responsibility or action. And, and it makes it really hard to, to feel good about lending your, your money, your time and your energy to support a club. I think that this is, (laughs) this is almost in a sense, if if you look at the positivity around that first Pacific FC match that took place that mm-hmm. weekend, mm-hmm. it was the next day afterwards. It was like people got to take a you know a, a nice bath 
in in well, in, in hot yeah. tub water that had been used of, before. And a lot of people said that, right? And I mean, and like when I said it, I, I got a couple of messages from people that sort of said the same thing, where which is just regardless of how you feel right now, and maybe you don't know what the right thing to do is, but it certainly feels like the right thing isn't maybe happening. And also it's just a real bummer to be a white cap supporter right now outside of our results. It's just, it really feels like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to speak for all supporters. For me, it feels like maybe I'm not really respected as a fan and, and maybe there's not the accountability that there needs to be for the club. And that's just me personally, but I, I know I'm not certainly not alone in that. And it, it becomes difficult to, to decide, well, what is it that I do then? You know, do I continue to be a supporter if I can't be 100% certain about um, what my club stands for? I, and, I, and I say um, that saying, like, that's my personal read on it. And even and, and not knowing, like, nothing's been proven in a court of law, but when there's so much doubt about it and there's relatively little information or response, it becomes really, really difficult. And eventually uh, fans just get worn down and, and felt like maybe we're not uh, a priority for a club. I, um, I think that people do that kind of soul searching all the time. I feel very firmly that you can be critical of, of, things that you love and, and activities that you love and, and people that you, you have had a connect, like, you know, in, in art and artists and performers and athletes that you have had a connection to, you can, and, and that's, I think something that we've always looked at as we critique and analyze the actions of organizations, um, whether it comes to, you know, refereeing or, or Tam or, or, um, or expansions or anything else. Um, I think that the the thing, the tough thing is that one of my favorite things about soccer is it's it's its ability to to create on a good day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> unbridled yeah. joy, unbridled joy, and 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 you know you go there and people uh, sing songs about love and they say that they love this team. Um, and you can be critical of, you can be critical of, of, of something that you love, but also there, you have to feel that there is effort being put in the other direction that, yeah, that, yeah. that it's worthy of your attention and of your affection. And I think would, uh, how do you feel about that? I, I definitely feel that. And, and I get, I mean, it seems kind of like an obvious stupid thing to say, but of, of course, like it's up to everybody to make their own decision. And um, what I experienced this weekend and what some other people I, in the, the white caps supporter world kind of echoed back to me was it's just a real bummer right now. And it's, it's making it really difficult to give the benefit of the doubt or to try to be optimistic. And I don't think that's, the fans or anybody else being unfair and in their reactions. This was also a week where a USL player had their contract terminated for uh, using the N-word against an opponent on a team, and you saw a USL side react right away 
um, and take immediate actions. And a lot of people were kind of saying like, okay, sure, it's a very different scenario, but you have a scenario where uh, a club immediately does something and responds and makes a very clear statement both with their actions and then followed up with their words. Um, that's the kind of responsibility and leadership we're looking for. And of course, situations are complicated and nuanced and should have nuanced approaches to them. But again, just personally, it's, it's really hard right now to feel like I want to get on a bus and drag myself down to BC Place and be counted as a person who's supporting this club right now. I mean, I've already paid for the tickets, but it it just... I kind of had a moment where, again, it's not some great moral crusade I'm on here. I just went, I can't bring myself to go today. And I certainly wasn't alone in that. And I, I hope that something changes to, to make me feel proud about being a supporter again. I think that the important things to think about are um, to not... What what people what somebody chooses to do is is intensely personal. Mm-hmm. They may they may not take part in the walkout, but may choose to voice their frustration in other ways. It is it is very much up to the person how they deal with it. I just think it's important um, in some way to. Uh, it, I think it's important in some way to reckon with it somehow. Yeah. Um, and the the issue that you were talking about uh, was um, was the Tulsa Rednecks uh, suspending Roughnecks. a player. Roughnecks. Oh, I I typed it down and I was like, I can't do that. I can't make that mistake. And then I definitely made the mistake. <laughs> That's fine. Um, uh, terminating Fast, Fabian Bastidas' contract after uh, um, Atiba Harris, a uh, a Whitecaps um, a Whitecaps expansion draftee. Um, uh, of the Oklahoma City Energy tweeted that he had been the subject of verbal abuse using the N-word. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see, ultimately. I think that's as, as far as... Uh, as much conclusion as we can really say right now. But certainly, um, this is something that we'd love to hear. I mean, I know lots of people are sharing their thoughts and opinions, but, um, you know, we'd love to hear feedback from people and, and, and thoughts and opinions on this because I, I feel like a lot of us right now are just kind of like, we don't know what to do, but maybe it's not our, it shouldn't be our sole responsibility to figure out what to do with this. Um, they're, uh, they're, they're, the, the good news is that there were other stadiums. <laughs> yes. Uh, one one quick little thing I just wanted to say, a little yes. bit of news. We don't often talk about things uh, over in Europe, but I did want to just mention because it's big news for a player that I, I think is sort of bigger than the game, but Iker Casilla uh, was hospitalized today due to a heart attack that occurred in training. The good news to that is uh, he, uh, he did post a picture on Twitter giving the thumbs up, so it looks like he's in stable condition and we're doing okay. But, of course, uh, just the kind of thing where, it, you know, it uh, supersedes club allegiances or leagues and is always kind of a scary thing when something like that happens. So uh, we just wish all the best to uh, an icon in the game. Um, it is something I we, we wish uh, Iker Casillas the best of health, of course. I think it's something we always hope that everybody, especially uh, 
there are a number of MLS goalkeepers. There are you know a career position where Iker Casillas is, and we would we we hope that um, their health is always front of mind of of, of teams, and uh, and I hope that Casillas gets well as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, the, uh, on the, on the, the matches front, mm-hmm. um, where do you want to start? So <laughs> I, the, 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 the game that I had the most notes about, because I watched <laughs> that, I think it might've been a surprise to you how many notes I had about this, but it's, it's mainly because I watched the extended 20 minute highlight. Okay. Um, I, I, Which, I was wondering if you thought you were, if you read my comments and thought that my first line is referring to your comments or the game. <laughs> um, the um, the thing with that one, I just want to say with the with the uh, with the extended highlights, mm-hmm. it's like I don't know why they think that you want to sit down and watch a twenty minute video that has the result of the match in the headline. It's a bit well, weird. It's a bit weird. I think it's a I think it's a fine way to take in a game. Uh, if you are, you know, if you don't, if you're pressed for time, as many of us are. Uh, but I really wish that they would just allow you to do it without getting spoiled for the result. Um, the this was a messy one. The, so, and we should say the game we're talking about here is yes, Sporting KC against New England. If you're if you're holding out wondering what, what game, oh, that's right, that's right. We, we this was a four four draw in Kansas City. Um, I saw I heard the 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 term calamity of errors, which uh, as a as a English major, I I approve of a lot more than comedy of errors. Yeah. Uh, because nothing nothing that happened here seemed too funny. Um, it just seemed like a lot of bad defense. Yeah, that that was my overall takeaway. That I mean, you would think that a goal, a game that had eight goals, probably maybe didn't have the best defense. But this one was, I, I was kind of even surprised watching the replay of it, just how bad it was, even for an MLS level. Um, my sort of big takeaway from the game was, well, there were eight goals scored, but it doesn't really tell us much about either side and certainly not anything we probably couldn't have said before this match began. So, well, I mean, if you think about new England to, to score four on Melia is, is always an achievement. Sure. Uh, that starts with, uh, Juan Lagadello, uh, finds a, a new England runner who has a lot of time to turn and shoot because it kind of feels like Melia uh, starts running to close up and a defender starts running to close up and they both get there at the same time mm-hmm. and neither of them really knows what to do with each other. Um, I don't know exactly if there's a great, both of them are acting on reflex, but they're too far away to act on reflex. So I don't know if there's a great, it's, it would be hard to just tell the goalkeeper, you've got to stay on the line and, and take the shot. When he turns around. But. Sure. Well, and, and Melia's defense as well. It's really hard being a, a starting goalkeeper and, and getting used to set, uh, a front four in front of you, and especially two center backs, to all of a sudden be playing with sort of a revolving cast and players who don't have a ton of playing experience with him. That I don't blame a goalkeeper like Melia for maybe charging off his line a little quicker or getting maybe not giving the benefit of the doubt to his defenders, because he may not... Well, and he doesn't know what they're going to do, necessarily. Um, 
I certainly, as a goalkeeper, feel more comfortable knowing my center backs and, and knowing how they play. And when I don't know them as well, I definitely make some riskier moves that have definitely given up some goals because you just don't know that uh, the center back necessarily has it. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. Namath uh, gets the, the sort of the first equalizer for Kansas City. Um, then New England score two to go up one three. Uh, and this is, I think, sort of like a game turning point. I have here that uh, uh, that Brandon By gets a, a, a card for hacking down Jerso uh, on a break. And I say... Toledo is right to do it. This is not what I would call in any way a like a useful foul. No, because it's it's. I agree. I feel like this is one where you try to get body position on him and maybe throw in a shoulder to uh, slow him down a little, and maybe you get carded, but maybe not a red card. So I, I agree. I think it's a. Uh, it's also so far out, and there is another defender there who could have probably run in like made a diagonal run and cut him off. So, I, it yeah, some some questionable decision-making on that one. But I agree, the card was definitely warranted. So I have a, so it's a straight red for a player that's already on a yellow. And I had in my mm-hmm. notes, Toledo, Toledo had made the right move. And then, moments, whatever it was later, he does completely oh. the opposite. Yeah. But five minutes later, when... Um, Gerso, same player, uh, has his arm touched and collapses to the left. And New England, um, flush with, with righteous anger, um, appeals to Toledo for a diving call. Toledo doesn't call a penalty right away. And then he flips, and the moment that they try to, uh, try to sort of appeal to him, then he's like, you, you want a diving card? You get a penalty. Yeah. I, I, for me here, Toledo just makes two terrible PK calls in this game. Neither one is a penalty. The, the first one, I'm like, I see a little bit more in it, but it's such mm-hmm. a light, light touch on the player that I just, I, it's, it's so, this is the kind of call that gets people so infuriated about MLS refs, where it's just, and Toledo for me is also, despite his experience, such an inconsistent referee. That week to week, he's going to call that one game and he's not going to call it in another. And seems never able to really give a reasoning for why he's flipped one way or the other. Um, I feel like he made a real mess of this game, too. Um, Yeah. It's hard to say that, you know, the the video title calls it a thriller. But after... (laughs) Sorry. After you get to the and it, and it had those horror elements, uh, but after the one three, nice. After the one three, after you get to one three at the at the beginning at the end of the 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 first half, the whole second half, rightly or wrongly, really feels like it's influenced by referee decisions. Yeah. Um, the second yellow, the second uh, uh, the second penalty is something that I know that you've talked about a lot, which is um, handball and its intentionality. It's a handball on Russell. Uh, it was well at the top of the box. Russell was, the player was facing away, and Russell was facing towards the goal. 
Um, so there's there's no chance that it was denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity. His arm wasn't tucked, but it's hard for me to say that it was intentional. Well, and it's also, and I know that the the rule change is coming where it's just supposed to be across the board. Doesn't matter if it's ball to hand or hand to ball or balls for hands or whatever. But for me, this is an awfully harsh PK call for all of the reasons that you stated. I don't think his arms are in an unnatural position. He's making no attempt to play the ball with his hand. Um, And as you said, it's not denying a clear and obvious goal-scoring chance. So uh, for me, too, the other thing is VAR is used in both situations, I believe. I think he definitely VAR'd the first one, but I don't know okay. about the second one. Well, for, I'll I think it was, say for, yes. VAR for the first one. I'm like, so you VAR'd it and you still got it wrong. Uh, because mm-hmm. I can't confirm that he used VAR on the second one. I'll just say it was a really. No, he did. He did, because he initially waved it off and then he went back and called it. So he did use VAR. And that just creates such a. Not that anybody has great t- trust in Toledo, anyways. Uh, no. I will always, I will always remember him for Atiba what's on side. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> so, but uh, for me, what I really take away from this game is like for Sporting Kansas City, it's entirely a. If, I think it's a great result for them to get back into it, and truly injuries are the reason for this calamity of errors. For New England, I just kind of have to throw up my hands, like you said. They got four goals against one of the best goalkeepers in MLS, so well done. Yeah. Uh, however, what do we really learn about New England here besides they can score goals against a team with a really depleted defense? Nothing. New England is still, to me, one of the weakest sides uh, and has a lot they need to sort out because they really, although had some, were certainly hard done by in a couple of cases, um, I think it's kind of hard to argue the sending off. And... Uh, Teal, Teal, and Teal and uh, Diego Fernandez, uh, Teal Bumberry and Diego Fernandez spend the game on the bench. Um, I believe. Let me just double check. Uh, there was no Teal comes in. Uh, Teal does come in. The they keep getting red cards. That that second penalty, Belia saves it, which is another sort of check in the the, the good work for Sporting Kansas City. Um, but but SKC make it. Um, make it two three, and then or no, they get they get all the way to four four, and New England have another player sent off. Yeah. So in in one half you have two you have two penalties, you got two red cards, um, and it just feels like a real mess. Definitely, and another one for New England. There was a um. I was interested in. Uh, I think I had this. I had this strange feeling about New York City, Orlando, where uh, Orlando gets this first goal, um, where uh, Nani collects off of a of a sloppy clearance and does his Nani car, uh, cartwheel. Um, even though I don't know that it was like the most. I don't know that it was the most original, or like 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 it was a little bit of a. Of a uh, of a poacher goal, but it was sly, so you could say that. Sure. Um, well, I, I have a question that I wanted to ask you. I meant to put it in my notes as a statement, so I'll ask you as a question. Um, yes. Because we asked this, of course, at, when Nani was signed. Um, 
And I, I think I recall what my answer was. But do you think uh, Nani was a, a good signing for Orlando? I have to say yes. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> I, I'm going to put my answer to, um, yeah. I mean, if you're signing a fullback <laughs> who has scored more than any of your strikers in yeah. uh, the few games he's played in, I think it's safe to say that, yes, maybe a bit of a, a weird flex to buy a player that old um, in a defensive position. But if he's going to score goals like that, then, um, yeah, good investment. Well done, Orlando. It I feels really after this point, though, the one, the one thing that you not it's not necessarily Nani's fault, but it's like, other than that, you can't really say that Orlando have been getting all the results that maybe they need. They're maybe they're in a playoff spot. Maybe I should, maybe I should slow my roll on that. Sure, but I mean they're they're up and down. They're inconsistent. But I mean, our my thing here is like, are we ready for a universe in which Orlando's kind of good, like not good every week, but they can compete with teams <laughs> i can tell you that orlando fans orlando fans are ready for that <laughs> absolutely it, I, I still feel like orlando probably like, should have won this one it feels like there are so many chances that i honestly felt like it was cursed like yeah like i felt like like you know somebody must have made a wish or somebody must have made a wish that they after the first goal they lose the game and it's like because they 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 hit like three posts. They, uh, they Dwyer misses a sitter. Uh, there is a, a another. There's a goal from Tesho Akadeli that's that's disallowed. Um, yeah. Because a player was offside like a half hour earlier. Yeah, I. That to me was a very strange call, and and I part of my should in Orlando should have won this one is without a better explanation and maybe I just need to go back and read why I felt like that goal should have stood. Yeah, maybe. I, don't, I think that, like, like I could see it to the point where I don't know. Uh, I think maybe it did get barred, but, um, but I could see it to the point where I wouldn't say that it's, like, a clear and obvious error. Yeah. Uh, because... Certainly, as as Nani kicks the ball, Tesho is a little bit ahead of the line, and he's the player who takes it in the end. Mm. Um, but you can say that they're certainly unlucky. They yes. they had a goal yes. line clearance. Any way any way you could think of that they were that you could have a chance to score a goal that they get denied at that that happened. I feel like you got to full time and like one finger closed on the monkey's paw. What do you mean by that? I'm no, I, I've not heard that before. It's a, it's like a, a like a 1900s short story about a, a, an item that grants you wishes at a terrible cost. Oh, okay, I see. Sure. So maybe the maybe the <laughs> wish was maybe the wish was we want to get the first goal in New York. Mm, mm. <laughs> right. And you get that, but you don't score anything else. Right. Possibly ever again. However, I, I still think this, this for me is, uh, there was a couple games like this this week, is a really good road point for Orlando. And that's yeah. new. So, again, I go, there's a lot that Orlando needs to sort out. But overall, um, they've put themselves in a, a hell of a position. And when I compare it to the team I support, I think, okay, maybe they don't have it all figured out yet. And it, it, they've, they're far away from a 90-minute complete performance. However... They're able to get some important results 
heading their way. And to take a point off New York City, um, a you know a team that's struggling right now, but certainly a team that we expect will pick up. You know, they're stealing vital points off of good teams. This is a, a new look for Orlando, and it's it's meaning that they're they're taking some of the heat off of themselves to figure some things out, maybe until there's some more signings that arrive in the summer. So overall for Orlando, I think things are going like spectacularly well for their kind of version 2.0. I think that's absolutely uh, correct. You you uh, I see you have you 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 talk about Brian Rowe being really good. Yeah, I just I think that... I, there's been a couple of little breakdowns um, in in communication. Uh, I think the goal that goes in is there's not much, too much he can do about it. But uh, for me, this is another one where he he really keeps Orlando in it, and um, it just shows the power of uh, signing a good domestic goalkeeper who maybe hasn't always had the best luck or consistent minutes enough to seem like a a real leader, but he's certainly establishing himself as a, a powerful goalkeeping presence in Orlando. And we should say as well, he was not brought in to be the starting goalkeeper in Orlando either. He was brought in kind of as a, a clear and obvious number two. So I definitely think he deserves to be keeping the number one spot for now. Um, the an, A team that did get uh, a great result uh, on the road is Portland, who went to Toronto um, and came away with a 2-1 win. Mm-hmm. Um a win that uh, seemed unlikely after the 20th minute when Jonathan Osorio uh, collected a ball uh, off of Alejandro Pazuelo, who has continued to have such an amazing uh, start for Toronto. Yeah. Um, it's uh, no, Paz sends it in the corner, Zavaleta heads it in, and it's caught in people's legs until Osorio can poach it on the far post. Um, so, so Toronto take the early goal, and then just two minutes later, uh, Bill Tuoloma, a central defender. I know we kind of catches doing goal of the week, but I feel like this week we should bring it back just once. I think we could. I'm I'm still for designating any goal any week goal of the week, and this is certainly a goal of the week contender mm. uh, for me because he. This is somewhat relying on a, like a, a a stereotype of central defenders as being the players who sit in the middle and, and head the ball, but it was such a skillful turn to take a cross that was coming in and uh, and catch it with the inside of his right foot and hit an amazing volley. Mm. Yeah, I I just gorgeous gorgeous goal. Um... I mean, if somebody, if Pozuelo missed this shot, you would just be like, ah, oh, unlucky, and carry on. But the fact that a, a center back takes this shot, uh, just really, ah, love it. So, uh, so that's sort of the the deadlock that hap- that that's set very early, and and um, they push through until the seventieth minute when uh, Jeremy Abobasi. Um, is able to to sort of dive uh, dive to get his head on a a, a cross and and uh, is able to put Portland ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, always also another oh. really superb finish. I feel like this goal was kind of overshadowed, but any header where the goal where the goal scorer like fully leaves the ground by like a full meter and then some to dive forward like this, like Abobasi just decides throw himself out this like Superman to get it in. It was a beautiful goal from the kid. It takes a lot of vision, I think, to 
to make to to see where that ball is going to go in uh in order to sort of try and Moscow torpedo your way uh towards it, you know, in a falling motion. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not there, if you somehow misjudged it, you're gonna look silly. Yeah. But and, he and, doesn't look silly, and he looks great. Possibly get some really harsh carpet burn on your old dum dum. <laughs> which I'm always concerned about. And it's possible he did get that old Tom Tom carpet burn, but everybody ignores it when you score a goal. They sure do. Probably yourself um, as well. Looks fine. Portland uh, outshot Toronto eleven uh, six, um, but they had a they but Toronto had the edge of possession. Yeah, but uh, you know we we talked about Portland probably not staying down there for too long in uh, no man's land where they started out at the beginning of the season. This is uh, such a massive performance for them. Definitely things that could have been done by better by Toronto here. Um, defensively still looking a little threadbare, but I thought overall they played better. Um, but this just goes to show uh, how quickly things can change in a week or two. And this is such a massive road victory for Portland that's going to give them, more importantly, a ton of confidence going forward. Because they, they, this is by far their most complete performance of the season. Another late point uh, earned by a team on the road was by Philadelphia against uh, Vancouver. Um, the 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 game on the pitch, I loved. Uh, I did get to see a a, a lot of this game live. Mm. I didn't quite see the very beginning, and I love uh, when I went back to watch the highlights that they mentioned that there's. I'm trying to find out who the player is. But it's a player who's making his debut for the Union after watching the first games when they're 10. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, Aronson. Vancouver, that would have been Aronson. Vancouver and Philadelphia have been around long enough that kids that were 10 in the inaugural season are playing now for those teams. Yeah, 18-year-old Brendan Aronson. I just crumbled to dust. He also just (laughs) had another great performance, didn't get a goal, and we don't need to really cover it, but Philadelphia just beat Cincinnati. That game just ended. Probably not as you're listening to this, but as we're recording, 2-0 for Philadelphia. Yeah, it's been, it was a great week for them. We've been only, we've been only impressed with the union. Um, The, uh, initially, the the Whitecaps score through a goal from Danielle Henry, um, but eventually Philadelphia uh, come back and get the win late on um, after sort of pressuring um, Ali Adnan to making a bad back pass. Yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, the overall thing, and I don't want to sound like I'm echoing Mark Dos Santos too much, but. You know, sometimes he just says things so honestly. I feel like this is a really good Whitecaps performance for the most part. 89 minutes of pretty good soccer. And one mistake, it does them in. And they lose two points. Um, there was a little bit of uh, fury on Whitecaps Twitter after this that um, as good as Adnan is, this is now uh, two games where he's really cost us dearly. So despite his attacking prowess... Um, you know, he's casual to the point sometimes of just being really complacent. Um, however, for me, it's like a player of that caliber is is going to make mistakes and adjust to the league. And one of the things we had talked about is players coming into MLS, even if they're really high caliber, 
they can often underestimate the physicality and the speed of players. And, you know, Adnan certain, certainly physically stands up, but he really just isn't expecting that player to burst out and steal the ball from him. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, I'm still at the point where I just kind of go, like, you know, we all know what's wrong here. The, the performances are getting better, but we are now officially the second worst team in the league. Um, not just in the Western Conference. And it unfortunately doesn't really look like our fortunes are going to change much, despite the fact that defensively we've started to look much better. There's the suggestion that Rody, uh, Jordi Reyna is injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, in, in, I understand he's expected to be out a couple weeks. Um, the... I think that this really creates an issue, especially because you, you mentioned Mark Dos Santos being um, honest, and he had that moment where where he said that Joaquin Ardais hadn't uh, trained hard enough, yeah, and that he needs to to train harder, or it's a it's a real problem to call out a player publicly like that. I'm interested to see what the result is, but it certainly doesn't paint a picture of an organized. Whitecaps forward line where you're seeing PC get starts over Freddie Montero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and Reyna's been our best striker so far. Um, Montero is sort of seems all but written off. I agree in getting giving Ardias some more playing time, but the big question over him is, yeah, just the work rate um, on the field has not been great and apparently hasn't been good in the... Um, train, on the training pitch as well. It's starting to make me think if it's possible if um, if uh, Blondell gets recalled from loan because despite the fact that he didn't have a ton of success here, he's a big physical player and I don't think anybody really faulted his work rate while he was here. Um, and Dos Santos basically said too he's actively trying to make a signing for a forward player before the May 7th transfer window closes. So... It will be interesting to see what happens there. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, again, I don't know if you really have too many other takeaways from this. For me, it tells me more about Philadelphia than it really does about Vancouver, other than they continue to make very, very small incremental steps forward. But this is we set, talked about them needing to win sort of nine points out of the next three games. This, for me, was uh, not getting things started well. You mentioned uh, the Whitecaps for the, the, the second worst team in the league. Uh, the worst, the the worst team in the league, uh, did not get a result on the road when they went to Atlanta and lost one nothing to an Atlanta side that really seems like it it has been, you know, really tough for them. They they in the, in sort of the hangover season. Yeah. Um the pieces are there but <laughs> but season. that's good. But they're like they're they're absolutely in a position where they are reacting to a one nil win over Colorado like a like a, a great weight a great weight has been lifted off their shoulders. Yeah, I mean, I I get it, but I I was a little bit surprised, too, that for me, this still looked like a really lackluster performance for the most part from them. Um, Grusselmania kind of came to the rescue to to steal something, but (laughs) outside of a couple of chances, uh, this game actually looked like, especially towards the end, Colorado had the better chances. Um, However, 
for Colorado, like, Wynn and Smith are just two of the most easily beaten center backs in the league. And I, you know, I, I don't like saying that about players because I get everybody's there getting paid and trying to do their best. But Colorado really needs to strengthen those positions and fast. It doesn't even seem, it seems like a different kind of calamity even than last year. Yeah, because what we've talked about it is that some pieces have improved. Without a doubt, mm-hmm. they do look better. However, the results are the same, if not worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, this The result of this game and of uh, the accrued form over the course of the year uh, is that Whitecaps manager Anthony Hudson has been, um, uh, has Rapids been sacked. Manager. Rapids manager. Rapids manager, yes. Rapids manager has been sacked. Um, I looked, I looked him up, and I was shocked to find out that he's been in charge of, since 2017. Because I just can't think of a time where I've ever thought of him, or seen him, or had any 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 I feel thought like process about him whatsoever. Yeah, it's like only been in the last couple of months that I have actively been like Anthony Hudson is the. Rapids manager, and he has been there for a while. But yeah, previous to this, I don't think I knew. Like, if you're like, I could pr- probably rattle off the coach of just about every MLS side. Um, but if you got to Colorado, I'd be like, and Jeff McStafferson, Mitch, Mitch Headface, uh, a guy, club janitor. It was it was apparently Anthony Hudson who also coached New Zealand, and the club has parted ways with him today. Um, I can't say you know if you don't have the results, you don't have the result results. Um, two years running with a with a side that I really do think has has got promise, has got the pieces there, and there is uh, um, there is invest there is investment in having a, a good season. Um, for Tim Howard's last, uh, for Tim Howard's uh, swan song, so Connor Casey is in the the Rapids' leading goal scorer in their history. Mm-hmm. It, um, interested to see what that what happens with this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it probably makes sense. I, I assume they'll try to bring in another coach, but where they are right now, I think the the key priority has just got to be like plug some of the holes and get the the train back on the tracks before they really do an extensive, exhaustive coach search. Um, and hopefully Connor Casey can loosen things up for them. Um, the next team they play, of course, is our beloved Whitecaps away. Whitecaps have always struggled when going to Colorado. So who knows? Maybe a coaching shakeup. This is one where they, they finally get their second win. Everybody loves Connor Casey. So you could kind of have uh, maybe that sort of that feeling towards it. Um, New York Red Bulls beat Cincinnati one nothing. Their goal was very much a chaos style goal. Um, Danny Royer back passes into the path of Connor Lath, who hits it with the force of a of a speeding train. Yeah, he was not. He did not mince his uh, opinion on that one. He was definitely he he decided that one. He wanted to make sure it went in, and he sure did. Cincinnati had a couple chances, but uh, they didn't have anything. They weren't able to put anything together. No, and, you know, the optimism that we talked about with uh, Cincinnati just a few weeks ago seems to have all but evaporated, and now with their loss tonight to Philadelphia Union, um, Philadelphia Union, we should mention, is now top of the Eastern table, so a good side, 
beat them. Can you imagine? I can't. I, you know what? I can. And 2018 Nick is a little vindicated right now, but I'm not going to dwell on that one. <laughs> not going to toot my own horn, but as you said, toot, toot. Um, um, but I, I, I still feel like this is, you know, for Cincinnati, you know, um, Adi is still out, I believe, indefinitely because of some off-field things. Uh, and Mane and um, Maddox just aren't finishers. And it's really unfortunate that two players who I think really have something to prove, it looked like Maddox had finally maybe sh- shaken a little bit of that off last year before he was uh, replaced by Wayne Rooney in D.C. Uh, just they aren't the guys to get the job done. And tonight was much the same. I kind of had the game going, and both players missed a couple of really easy opportunities. Um, for me right now, Lamar still looks like the best attacking option for Cincinnati, um, but just not quite enough in it for them. And, and this was one that I think they, they should have tried to get a little bit more out of uh, a Red Bulls team that's been struggling and didn't look all that great in this game either. No. Um, we... You know, I still have a lot of even if even if people even if Whitecaps fans were sore on Maddox for to, for going to Portland, um, I've always had positive feelings about Maddox and Manny. But ultimately, um, there are reasons why they left the club, and it's that lack of finishing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to give a little shout out to New York Red Bulls' new holographic blue numbers. I don't think I've seen those before. I don't know if there was a, were new this week, but my, my those things pop. They are loud. They pop. I don't. I. I don't know that I love blue on them, but it, I mean, like they. Oh, achieve it's a horrendous color want. choice, but. Uh... They achieve what you want to achieve, which is to have people see the numbers. It's the opposite. It's almost like the opposite color scheme of Vancouver's back numbers right now, where they've got a white jersey with, with a blue, stripe and then red numbers over top in New York's. White, red with blue numbers. Or like Cincinnati with a white jersey. Or um, Minnesota with a white jersey and a very pale silver number where you're like, who, who is it? Who? Uh, I could see Royer a mile away. I think you could see him in space in this game. <laughs> uh, a team you could always see in space is, uh, from space is Houston uh, in, their, uh, in their bright orange strip um, who beat Columbus 2-0. Um... Just a real, um, a real textbook, at least to Minotis. Well, I would say textbook, but Minotis is falling over and just finds a way to get a little millimeter of a touch on it on on the the ball and send it home. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Steffen coughs up a rebound, which is a, a rarity. Um, Willis gets a nice uh, gets a nice punch to ensure the shutout, um, but. Not a lot. Uh, not a lot happening other than the two goals. No, um, for me, you know, the the giveaway from Abubakar is just like, what, buddy? What are you doing? Like, you've got your back turned. You know that Elise is behind you, and you like take a bad touch, turn, and then just take like, I don't know if he's trying to take a second touch to like move the ball forward, to move away from Elise before he hits the back pass, but just gets robbed blind. Um, and then Martinez, another goal where there was no doubt about that one going in, uh, just smashes that rebound. Um, where, what was I? Where are my notes? Oh, here they are. Um, Houston, 
still lacking a little concentration towards the end of games where they certainly like to make it interesting for themselves towards the end and seem to defend an awful lot. But we're seeing a Houston side that's built upon what they had in the past, which was before just pure pace. Um, but now some really, really choice finishing thrown on top of that and a, a little bit stronger um, in midfield as well. So it's no surprise to me that Houston is doing so well. I'm just beginning to get a little bit nervous about Columbus's intensity in terms of defense. We saw under um, Burhalter how that was like a, a real key identity thing for them was winning back the ball um, and maintaining good possession and being defensively sound like trying to win second balls and it seems under Caleb Porter uh, that's diminished a little bit and I don't know if that's something he's looked at or something he's okay with and is trying to hit teams more on the counter but um, things are not all all right in Columbus at the moment Um, Montreal snagged a one nothing home win against Chicago uh, I try not to 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 dwell too much on it, but man, Montreal's grass looks bad. It looks like an abandoned schoolyard. Okay, it does. It looks horrendous. It looks like something out of The Walking Dead. But in their defense, I mean, they went on the road for, what, five games to let some of the grass grow back. And as a former garden person, I can tell you, that's just what dormant grass looks like. And it seems like the way the ball is moving on the pitch, like... There aren't chunks of the pitch coming up, so it looks like dead, dry grass, but it's just dormant. The pitch is playing fine, but yes, on television, it, it does look like scorched earth. I'm very happy to have your expert garden knowledge. I'm so glad I could finally use it here. It's <laughs> probably the only thing I can say with some certainty. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, this goal from... Um... For Brown, uh, initially I was really confused by it, but but it really is just a a great individual effort where he runs in um, on the touchline and then um, collects his own rebound as it uh, as his first shot bounces free. Yeah, nobody's gonna blame him for not finishing his run there. Uh, was a bit, I agree, a little bit strange. But once you watch it slow mo, you're kind of like, okay, I, I see what you did there. Um, but just. Again, another team that is so overlooked, and they are now second in the East and putting together some really solid performances. I, I thought Chicago played quite well in this game. Um, I, I had to note that they were actually marking the far post, and it saved them some blushes at one point, so well done to them. Uh -huh. um, and it does look like Chicago's kind of waking up a little bit. For me, my big thing is still just, like, one of the slowest midfields in MLS. It's just so painful to watch them try to counter. Um, fast forwards, but, man, that midfield is, is a little slow. Uh, that was actually, that was also uh, forward Omar Brown's uh, debut game. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his signing, he was signed this, he was signed in April. That went under my radar, uh, but he's not under anyone's radar anymore. Yeah, the 24-year-old, uh, 24. That's a good age. Um, and just continues to show the depth that Montreal's established at their club. So probably oh. not surprising that they're where they are. Oh, I remember where I heard about this now. Uh, so, well, he's the, the other no thing to note about his debut is he came in on the, the 40th minute uh, at being subbed in. Uh, I don't know if the player was injured or not. It wasn't a suggestion that it was an injury sub for Clement um, Baija. Uh but I remember where I heard about him now because he was the player 
that was signed from Independiente, the Panamanian team that knocked out uh, TFC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the the Panamanian team that got two wins against MLS sides in... I was just Trunk looking at his Wikipedia page to be like, where is this dude from and how old is he? And I saw Panama and just as I was putting, connecting the dots, I was like, yes, it uh, shows the value of good scouts and uh, people who do their research and go, ah, well, he can certainly beat MLS sides, so. That's true. It was. It's kind of funny that it's like, uh, congratulations on uh, beating two MLS sides, Independiente. You've now put all of your players in the shop window. Yeah, exactly. It was the injury slip. Yeah. Uh, let me say no. Let me let me have no slander against Clement. Uh, but uh, but yeah, great great start for him. Not a lot else. No, for either no. side. But um, the. Uh, LA Galaxy. As we mentioned, uh, as we as we mentioned off at the top, one two one against RSL. Um, these these wins that LA is racking up, I find almost hard to comment on because even if you look at, even if you know, uh, they just seem so fortunate. You know what I mean? No. And not oh, just from the ref. I do know. What not you just mean. from. Not just from the refereeing perspective, but it's just like little things that you wouldn't expect to work. Just happen to go their way, and I feel like it doesn't necessarily. It it shows their ability to to capitalize on something like uh, you know Ibra Ibra dummies a ball by just sort of being present and doing nothing to it. Um, and, and there's a scramble. There's like a like a, like a scrambled pass from Chris Pontius to Antonia uh, to get that first goal. Um, but I don't know, like, it's great for them to take those chances, but I don't know that any of these have, have put them up against any adversity, and it no. doesn't look like they've worked too hard to achieve them. No. I, I still think, uh, I, I, I feel pretty firmly that they will definitely make the playoffs and probably get beaten by the first opponent they face. Uh, however, if they continue to be as lucky as they have been, and as you say, it's not just all about calls. It's like literally just the soccer gods seem to be on their side. Um, and the difference maker is they have luck and they have Ibrahimovic. So they have looked pretty poor and pretty mediocre through most of their games. And they've also won a lot of those games. So what do I know? <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Dallas, Nil Nil, St. Uh, I was about to say St. John. San Jose. <laughs> Dallas Nil Nil Saints boy. Um, the uh, not a lot in this. I think that the big thing that you you come away with is that this does look like a different, more energized San Jose, or like 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 a San Jose that can get more chances. Totally. Um, and they have a like like they are not the sort of mopey nothing San Jose that we've seen in in, in the last two seasons at times, but they also. Just don't. They're moving so slowly, like they get away with it. They have the space to do it, but it just seems like you were saying earlier about watching the game on slow motion. Well, and I'm beginning to wonder if it's part of how Almeida is trying to reshape this team a little bit. And certainly on the road, I think it's a little bit more understandable. Is that in the past we've seen a San Jose side that 
has had some pace. It's usually more on the wings, but it's it then when they're moving players quickly, they lose their shape really quickly, and then they get hit on the counter. And so I think maybe what Almeida is trying to do here, and this is just my guess, is trying to instill a little bit of some of the fundamentals into this team to give them a little bit more character to say, like, look, if you're going to go running all over Hell's Half Acre against a team like Dallas, they're for sure going to find open spaces and beat us. But if we can slow them down and slow ourselves down a little bit, we can frustrate them and, you know, maybe wait for something lucky to break. Let Salinas do his running. Let Espinosa make his brilliant passes and his running. But the rest of the team stay behind. But I agree, um, and this we've saw it in their first few games, that it, it is... It's real, real slow. Like, it's noticeably how slow <laughs> they're moving. <laughs> um, I think Dallas did not have a great game, but I thought this is a... Because of the nil-nil result, it won't really be noticed. But I certainly noticed this is... Dallas has been fantastic. Um, they're one of the teams to beat in the West. This is a massive road point for San Jose and something very positive to build on. Um... The uh, Minnesota gets a one gets a one nil win against DC United, which um, it it's a great result for them, but it also feels like like DC's been giving up a couple of these recently. Yeah, um, just sort of you know shock wins against teams that you wouldn't expect to beat them. Um, Minnesota's new stadium looks great. Uh, mm-hmm. DC's pine. Uh, DC's Pine gets, you know, scores his, is said to have scored his first goal, hits a header that arcs into the top corner. Um, but I believe on bar, in VAR, it's uh, it's believed that uh, Frederick Briant is sort of, ha- is, is holding down the goalkeeper's arm, which prevents the keeper from um, leaping up to contest Pine. Yeah, his hand um, is on his shoulder, but I, I felt like that's a very harsh call. Especially after using VAR to decide that you're overturning your original call. Uh, to me, this this was the wrong one. And Sagafi is another referee. Um, not all referees in MLS are terrible, but Sagafi for me is just, he looks nervous. And he seems totally uncomfortable just making a call and sticking to it. And then he goes to VAR and overturns his call. And again, for me, he this is a number of times now where he's overturned the call and I would argue it's the incorrect call. Like, he actually had it right the first time, but he's not trusting mm-hmm. his own judgment in what he's seen. And then he's watching a video replay that's like, well, in slow motion, a player's arm on Manone's shoulder, yeah, might look like it's there, and we can't really judge how hard he's holding him back. But for me, uh, unlucky. Yeah, he's definitely unlucky. Especially for a young, like, especially for a young player that didn't do anything. Yeah, you know? yeah, That's yeah, tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the, that it really changes the laws of the game any, but it just sucks for that guy. Yeah, um, uh, Ibarra had a nice shot on the break. Uh, uh, Angelo scores on what I think of as a as a speculative cross in. Yeah, it was a, a little Hail bit Mar- more. The old see Hail what Mary happens. Cross, slamming up balls but in, hey. and eventually, eventually, it, eventually it falls for you, and it fell on the eighty second minute. Uh, which I believe was that their first goal at home. Is that uh, is that the is that the case? Uh, I think it might be. Um, Donovan Pines was the uh, the the goal scorer that wasn't. Um, the 
the other note that I had from this game is that uh, um, late on in the game, uh, Segura, you know, Ibarra takes another, you know, huge shot, uh, and it, like, hits Segura in the body. And I just love, he just limps through the box after that. Like, I'm okay, guys. I only took a huge shot. It's fine. I'll be fine. Uh, we've all been there. <laughs> um, Seattle and LAFC drew 1-1. Um, this is a battle of two teams that, you know, LAFC have run away with the Western Conference, at least uh, in terms of goals. Um, but uh, but Seattle sits third, and they were able to um, to get, I think, a key point um, hosting LAFC at home. Absolutely. Um, to me, this was just a, a really, really bad game from two really good teams. Um, uh-huh. The Jordan Morris goal, I think, is fantastic, but it, it's just, a, again, a silly back pass that he capitalizes on um, and a good finish. And then, w- what is it, like two minutes later, Vela does kind of the same thing but just gets a really good cross in. Um, that first goal comes in like 41 seconds into the game. Yeah, and then LAFC, I think Vela's goal is in like four minutes. So within four minutes, then- we have the game basically over. They could have just they could have just went home after that. Certainly, and for all the the silliness that ensued afterwards, I feel like everybody could have just gone home and saved themselves the heartache and trouble. Um, uh, Leardom is sent off late. Um, Roldan was sent off. He got a red card for. It looks like he's actually trying to break up a, a bit of a, a fight, and he absolutely touches the face, which you know you can't do. However, his red card was rescinded today. Um, well, it was hard to it was hard to know what was going on at the time because because I think it, at the time the announcers were saying that it might have been Leardon that we got sent off in that open in that first yeah, encounter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like uh, the LAFC player um, the LAFC player charges him with his arms up or with his shoulder up, but he basically shoulder barges. Um, into Roldan, and Roldan, I think, gets his gets his hands like like gets his hands up and like pushes back and does have some appears to like be like maybe a small amount of forearm contact, and Edward Atuesta just hits the deck, yeah, immediately. And I mean, I get uh, from the Sounders fans' perspective, I get like Atuesta is making a total meal of this. Um, I mean, and you know how much I hate talking about, like, the letter of the law and all of that stuff, but we've seen, you know, joke slaps to the face get red cards. So I'm not really sure the justification for rescinding this red card if we're that serious about, look, if it's a hand to the face or in the neck, whether in jest, whether on purpose, whether by accident, it's a red card, I, is this going to now be the precedent? So with all calls, I go... I'm fine with the red card. I'm fine with it being rescinded. But my biggest question is, are we going to see more red cards rescinded where there's an accidental or just for funsies, like if intention all of a sudden matters with the hands to the face? I don't know if it's because he's coming in trying to sort of break up a fight that this is called back. However, it still to me says like, is there a rule that says if you're, 
have good intentions and you're trying to break up a fight and you accidentally touch somebody's face and they make a meal of it, your red card gets rescinded because that hasn't seemed to have been the case in the past. I think it's hard for anybody who sees it, um, regardless of this automatic, remember this idea that there's an automatic red for, for contact to the face? Yeah. It's hard for anybody to see this, to see the impact that Atuesta makes and then to see the force of Roldan trying to push him back away from him and thinks of Roldan as the aggressor or somebody that used the most force. For sure. In the situation. So I think there is a certain amount of justice in it. I, like I said, I agree that uh, it's probably the right call. My biggest question just is, is has the rule changed and... What happens when this happens a week or two weeks from now and a player doesn't have it rescinded? We've just seen MLS refs take this road and then it's confusion for everybody for the rest of the season. Um, that's, the, uh, that's the end of the MLS results. But we've got um, the new league on the scene is the Canadian Premier League, which, uh, which opened up its uh, first couple of games this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I unfortunately, I think just uh, for a variety of reasons, I was sort of paying attention from afar. Um, it was great to see so much um, talk and so much promotion of this. And promotion, I mean, in the, in the sense of fans being really excited. It was nice to see. I, I actually used to live in Langford, not too far from where uh, Pacific FC plays. It is not a convenient location for anyone to get to. <laughs> um, I think even from where I was living at the time, relatively close, it wasn't easy to get to. Probably would have taken me still like 20 minutes on transit to get the two kilometers to there. Um, so I, a sellout crowd on their first match. I was really excited about that. I know there was a lot of uh, mainland folks, both dis, uh, disgruntled Whitecap supporters and just fans who wanted to go see some more soccer made their way over to the island um, and it looks like a pretty good turnout in Ontario as well so for me I was just excited that it was happening I, and that meant that I didn't really pay too much attention to the actual games as a result it's, it's, it's hard because you know the uh, as we've talked about before the addition of extra MLS teams mean that there's now uh, now there are a lot of games of the weekend which is totally fine it's it's great to see um the uh I caught like sort of the last ten minutes of uh Forge FC in York Nine. Mm-hmm. And I uh and I caught like a good uh thirty minute chunk of Pacific versus Halifax. Um I the 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 former was on C B C the latter was on their new streaming service One Soccer. Um and I really found that they appealed to almost like different audiences for soccer, which I find to be strange in the same league. Like um, Forge plays at uh, Tim Hortons Stadium or Tim Hortons Field, uh, this the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, and with the sort of the afternoon time slot on CBC. Um, they opened up the whole stadium, and uh, and I believe they gave tickets away, uh, season tickets. As uh, you know, you were able to get in with donation. Mm. 
Um, in in to this, they they attracted an audience of over a thousand, over ten thousand. Um, it looked it looked in in presentation almost like a CFL game, like you were watching a CFL game on with a with a two thirds full audience. Mm. Uh, uh, in the in that area, um, the game the game I think uh, played fine. The you see this sort of like uh, with the with the early goal in the uh, York Knights scoring the early goal, uh, the player almost seems like time slows down to a stop very early in the game as he realizes, "Wow, I'm going to score this one." Three minutes in, yeah, got, like closes in on a near one on one shot, um, uh, Forge late on, uh, Forge late on scores. There is a uh, enough controversy with a player getting sent off. Uh, the same player gets its first yellow and its first red, and a player not gets it doesn't get a red card, but gets one that that sort of sends the Canadian Premier League take machine into uh, you know there was a nice push to give the that sort of discussion machine. Um, actual game events well, to talk about. Thank God there was some controversy, especially around a call that was and wasn't made. <laughs> you know, that's something that we... This uh, is why we, we will not be try. covering every Canadian Premier League this season. Because <laughs> we can't do a <laughs> nine-hour show. No. Um, the one thing that I didn't like that I heard from the commentary, uh, a lot of the names are very familiar to people who've watched soccer in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, including Terry Dunfield and Craig Forrest. Um, there was this this line I kept hearing about a very Canadian brand of soccer, a very physical, like, like Canadians have to be, like Canadians aren't happy unless you see somebody get formed in the face or whatever else. That doesn't, that doesn't um, form it like great soccer or like great soccer expectations. Sure doesn't. It's terrible, <laughs> um, and especially so, so if don't talking tell me about that's like Becker's. Just like he goes in elbow into a player that's not looking into his head, uh, is pretty gutless, and um, yeah, it it's going to lose fans quicker than gaining them because if there's some suggestion that like the Canadian Premier League is going to bring over some. CFL or NHL fans, uh, I think they are sorely underestimating who their market is. Yeah, and this is what I mean by sort of the the difference between the two, because it really did feel, um, it really did feel that like this was the this was the game for people who uh, this was the game for people who wanted the major league experience. And then you had this game in Langford that I've never seen the stadium before. Um, I wonder when you talk about its um, its its frustrating location. This is under I understand where a lot of key rugby is played. Mm, mm-hmm. Is that is that correct? Um, that maybe you might see it move at some point, but certainly that stadium seemed to be a big part of their identity. It was well full. It really seemed to appeal to those people who had been um, been to second division soccer, whether it's NASL or USL first division or or what. Like that, that was sort of the 
atmosphere that was being catered to. Um, it was there were fewer people, but fewer empty seats, mm-hmm. and they also uh, there seemed to be a great you know presence of of supporters culture and, and good songs and good reaction. People had a really feel good moment when they watched that that first goal from Stavro. Um, the uh, 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 to give Pacific FC the one nil win over the Halifax Wanderers. Mm-hmm. Well, and overwhelmingly, everything I've heard from people who attended was just that they they had a really good time, and maybe part of that is because of the stuff going on in Vancouver. But um, it meant a lot to, for people to go have a game that seemed catered towards fans having a really good time at the game. And uh, yeah. watching some good soccer as well. Like I was pleasantly surprised. Admittedly, all I saw was the highlights, but pleasantly surprised that the level of play, um, I think, was where it needed to be. Certainly, it wasn't at the, the same level as MLS, but that was never promised. And um, yeah. I think if this is the starting point, then that's great. It was good to see some good hold-up play in midfield. This wasn't just attacking end-to-end football of two teams slugging it out. So, you know, last week we talked about Michael Bradley's, or Bob Bradley's, um, yeah. rather, his criticism of North American soccer. I would have to imagine that if he watched these two games, he would say that this league was moving in the right direction to provide some uh, two teams that actually tactically were doing the right things and trying to win a game of soccer, not just by bashing in as many goals as they could. It's hard to uh, it's it's still hard to judge until you see all players play, each, all teams play each other. What the level is, but I definitely got that read off of Pacific in, in Halifax as well. I don't, I think that Halifax were doing the right things. They almost scored a goal, but it was disallowed for handball. Yeah. Um, and I think that they certainly, uh, certainly didn't seem to be. They certainly seem to be at the same level. What that level is, we. We'll see from week to week as we start to see weekends that have more of a full game schedule. And the announced crowd at Tim Hortons Field was uh, uh, 17,611, which will certainly uh, hearten people that... That's the one uh, in Ontario. That was the Ontario right. one. That'll make people happy. That's great. That's as many people as... That's close to the number that were at the Whitecaps game on Saturdays. Even though it's, even though it's papered? Yeah. Uh, even though, even though you have to like take, keep in mind that that doesn't translate to money. Sure. That's still people who came out and hopefully had a good time. Absolutely. For me, my major takeaway here is just like, um, nothing hugely negative happened and everything got off to a really good start. There's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of momentum. It's the, it's obviously the right time for it fans are behind it, the club seem invested in all the right ways, um, and there was a good weekend of soccer. Granted, it was only the two games, um, and it's not a big league, but I think that's great to start out small, get things right, uh, do them well, attract a, a base audience that's going to stick with it, and then slowly add some teams, and you know the quality will hopefully rise a little bit as well, and we'll see maybe a bit more of a pipeline from CPL into MLS as the years go on. But for, for me, my major takeaway is just like it was such a fantastic debut to the league and leaves me with optimism that we're going to see a lot of really positive things coming out of this for Canadian soccer in general, which is what the whole point of this thing was. 
Um, the uh, I definitely think that that's true because you're you're already seeing players. You know, uh, I'm trying to remember um, the name of the guy that uh, Halifax just signed a Canadian defender, and it's the the sort of the silent middle of, of players that never sort of made national team con- uh, contention, but could still play professional somewhere uh, mm-hmm. seem to be, that seems to have been a, a big goal of bringing people in. And, and that seems to have happened. Uh, Pacific have a second home game on Thursday. Uh, when you talk about, you know, people being able to, you know, people being excited and wanting to go uh, to go there, um, I have just managed to get tickets to Halifax. Nice. By waking up, by waking up in the morning and and and, or waking up in uh, in advance of my my evening work shift and, and grabbing uh, a small selection of tickets as they went on sale because they sold out their their single game tickets. Wow. And it's like they sold out their single game tickets and in the two or three days before you couldn't find resale. The few resale tickets you were you were seeing where it's like the unreasonable prices where somebody people were trying to sell twenty five dollar tickets for like a hundred and ninety eight dollars. <laughs> uh, the more reasonable one is that you could get like a set of four tickets for two hundred, but that's still twenty five dollar like tickets that the the face value get in price to that field is sixteen dollars. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. but there was no. Until they put those tickets on sale, there was no way to get in. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see that uh, see that firsthand. Absolutely. And um, I the th- the thing you mentioned too that I just really briefly wanted to touch on about players uh, that maybe have sort of crashed out of MLS or just there hasn't really been a place for them, but they obviously still have quality. Is with a number of USL sides folding, um, with NASL folding as well. Uh, there, there were a lot of players kind of cast off into the ether. I mean, certainly Whitecaps too uh, became a real uh, recruitment source, or the ashes of Whitecaps too, uh, for uh, Pacific FC. And we've seen a number of former Whitecaps players from the USL days or academy days uh, make their way to those teams, who obviously still have uh, something to give, and and in some cases too something to prove. So there, there also the nice thing here is there's a good mix of a lot of players with experience that will bring some quality and also a lot of young players who are maybe just not quite there yet at the MLS level, but now they have somewhere to play and to continue to get minutes and grow. I love the suggestion. Uh, I love just taking a look at uh, Pacific, uh, that they also have a player um, in on loan from Cincinnati, which is like, they're very much, they're very much like like continuing this weird uh, Vancouver to uh, to Cincinnati flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's this weird sort of like, not quite conspiracy, but just like this weird sort of story of these connections between Cincinnati and Vancouver, and the the USL sides. If you look at Alan, the 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 amount of time that Alan Koch spent at Vancouver and at SFU, it makes sense. Yeah. But it makes no other sense for there to be a connection between Vancouver and Cincinnati and Lamper, BC. The the attendance of that game was five thousand one hundred fifty four. So, um, so that's a lot of people to get to Lamper. And they you have to really want to. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's gotten a little bit easier since I lived there because it was <laughs> over ten years ago. But um, 
it's still it's not it's not in downtown Victoria. It's in, in if you were living in Victoria and wanted to get there on transit, you're looking at at least forty minutes and at least a twenty minute drive. So it's not just easily accessible. Um, but it didn't seem to matter, which is great. The one thing that I wanted to point out, just because it's a it's a thought that I've been having. Um, before, you know, as, as excited as I am to go see Halifax and, and to have a, a team in the area with a, with a fresh slate, um, I'm also really happy to see FC Edmonton play its first game mm-hmm. um, on Saturday as well. That is a team that means a lot to people, and uh, it means something to me, and it was really sad to think that they were going away, and um, it's really hopeful to see them return. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm really happy for the, the supporters and, and the, the folks that have stuck around at the club. It's, it's such a shame when a, a small but mighty club folds, and it's nice to see them have a, a place again. And, and hopefully, you know, this is a really positive restart for them. Uh, until next week, where can we find you online? You can find me online at That's MLS on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me in real life invading locker rooms to try to get uh, some last-minute apologies in. Where can we find you? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. And you can find this podcast at www.thatsomls.com. And please give us rate, reviews, and subscribes on all the podcast services where you can find it. Yeah. And until next week, no touching. Until next week, don't get two red cards when you're when you're tied. Don't do it. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs>